Hello, welcome back. It's the Philosopher's Stone podcast with me, Jay Jonah Jameson, and him, Samwise Gumgee. <laughs> How you doing, Sam? Uh, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, yeah. What uh, What can I say? Life goes on. <laughs> Life does go on. It's a great rap song about that somewhere. Oh, I can't be bothered to find it. I uh, have had. A fucking terrible week. My insomnia is back with a vengeance. I don't think I've slept more than two hours in a row since we last spoke, honestly. Oh my God. Brutal. Yeah. Absolute dog shit. And it's. Did you drink some apple cider? Apple cider? Is that the key? I just remember there was an interview with uh, Jordan Peterson and he said he drank some apple cider and he became, and he couldn't sleep for a month or something. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but I get this. I get about at least one bout, like a serious one every year at least. Mm. It's generally triggered by a change in in routine or schedule. Uh, Like if I started a new job, the worst was when I did my last year of electrical school. I don't think I had a full night's sleep that entire like 10 weeks. That was by far the worst. But this year... I, you know, it's funny because when I started this new job, that didn't happen at all. So, Mm. but now it's happening. And I believe that it's happening because of the pandemic coming to (laughs) a, 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 I seriously do. I think that my, I'm subconsciously stressed out about going back to uh, how my life was before. Mm. Interesting. Especially because comedy starts this week. Which means I'll be like gone in the evenings, which I'm not used to be doing. And uh, I don't know. It feels like that must be it. It's just been absolute nightmares trying to sleep. Like complete. My inner monologue just goes fucking bananas. It's like fast forward, but also it's, it's skipping. That's what it, that's what it is for oh. just the entire night. Do you, uh, do other people in your family have insomnia, or is it just you? Levi, Levi was complaining about it like a month ago, he said. Interesting. And I know my dad has restless leg syndrome. Interesting. Which, so I did have an insight the other night because typically when I get insomnia, I have restless legs to accompany it. Mm. So I had gotten the habit of doing wall sits to like tire my legs out. And then that would usually work. Like it definitely gets me to sleep. It doesn't mean I'll stay asleep, but it gets me to sleep. Like almost every time I I do it, but I have to go until like, I literally cannot do it anymore. And I'm counting like, and then I realized the other night, actually it was at like five in the morning. I was trying to get a desperate, like last hour of sleep. I was doing a wall sit and I realized that I don't think it's, I don't think it works because I'm getting physically tired. I think it works because it, because of the pain and the counting, it's like counting sheep, but with a pain element so that my inner monologue can't really just go wild. Like it gets to the point where I can't think about anything other than the burning in my legs. And then with the counting on top of that, that like resets my brain to stop going fucking crazy. I'm pretty sure that's why it works. I'm like 90% sure that's why it works. Mm. Cause I've legit tried like count, not counting sheep, but just like in order to like slow down the fucking circus in my head enough to like put one coherent thought together. Like I'll try and like talk, like count really slowly to try and like, but it doesn't work that well. Cause I can just, I can count, but in between each number is just like the chaos again. It's brutal. 
Okay. And to make it even worse, I I fuck it. I made the mistake of downloading the the album for that last Bo Burnham special. <laughs> and it was it's literally it it every song has ingrained itself so deep in my brain. So like as I was trying to sleep, these like fucking pretty depressing music for going insane. But like it would just be like snippets of each song, just oh, all fucking night, mm. and they're all like hopeless messages in the lyrics too. So it was just it's just been fucking week of despair. On Friday after work, I couldn't I can't even describe to you how stoked I was to like sleep in the next day, and I just could I couldn't couldn't fucking sleep all weekend either. Tried napping multiple times as well. Damn, just a mess. So last night marks like a week. And last night was probably the most successful sleep I've had all since we last spoke. So in like, I don't know, seven days. And I think I got probably four hours wow. of consecutive sleep, which was amazing. And then I was up for the rest of it. And I'm just fucking... And like, you know what I've realized? No one gives a fuck at... Like, you don't get sympathy for being sleepy. Like, it, they don't care. They, it doesn't matter. Especially like people at work. I mean, of course they want to care, but they don't care. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you're sick. Yeah. It's not like you're injured. You're tired. They have real problems. It's just harder. <laughs> it is very hard to fucking find sympathy well, uh, from most people because everybody knows what it's like to be tired, but it's missing like a week of sleep. Getting like a couple hours a day is not the same as getting like when they're two rough nights of sleep, but whatever, fuck it. I'm going to sleep tonight. I can feel it. I can just feel it. Tonight's the night. Have you heard of, there's a, a disease called fatal familial insomnia. Have you heard of this? Yes. I think we talked about this on the podcast last time I was going through it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think. I don't remember. I thought we were talking about this. It's basically like you're, it's a genetic thing. It like affects certain families. Yeah. And as the people in the families get older, they develop insomnia. And the insomnia is so bad that they literally get brain damage and they die from lack of sleep. I'm worried. I'm legit worried about because it's been happening every year at least once for at least a week long for like, I don't know, the last six years at least, I would say. Mm. So I'm concerned that if it doesn't, if I can't get some sort of strategy in place to make this stop, then I'm going to have like early onset dementia or some shit. Now, have you tried a strong dose of weed plus a strong dose of melatonin and listen to an audiobook? Because that always knocks me out. I do that every single night. Okay. That exact combo. How much melatonin are we talking? I take one pill. How much is in one pill? How many milligrams? I don't know. I don't know. You want like 10 to 25 milligrams. Pretty sure it's more than that, but I can check the bottle. The only thing is... And this goes for sleeping pills too. Is that if you don't actually sleep after taking that, you are you're twice as fucked the next day. Mm. You can just try not sleeping. Like just don't go to bed. Just like play video games all night. It would be better, but like <laughs> I'm like way beyond that. I will be and like at work, I'm already starting to like like I'll make mistakes, but I can tell I'm a lot slower than I should be. Mm. Yeah, and you know. Like I said, you can explain your situation to your coworkers why you're so slow, but they're really not gonna. It's like it's not their problem that you're sleepy today. So no, <laughs> they have real real problems. Well, luckily, I don't have to really do much thinking in this episode because we are doing a very special Q 
Q&A episode. Ba-ba-ba-ba. So I went on my old Facebook, my social media last night, and I asked the people directly what they, uh, they want to ask you. Oh. And uh, we got some good questions. We got some absolute garbage questions from garbage people, <coughs> Josh Ashton. <laughs> um, but uh, we did get a good, uh, a lot more questions than I thought we would get, honestly. Um, so I don't know if we just, should we just get rolling into it or do you want to start? You want to, do you have any sort of uh, opening remarks before we get into this, Sam? These are, I told him to re- direct the questions at you, but uh, I think I might answer a couple. I don't know if you read through any of this last night. No, I've not read any. of These are all going to be new to me. Okay. Well, let's just get started. I don't, I don't know if I should say the names of people. I don't know if they would even give a fuck. But You could say like their first name or something or make up a name. Okay. Well, these are all people we know personally anyway, so it's not like... <laughs> yeah, maybe just first name. We'll just do first names. Okay. The first question, and... Uh, some of these are not going to take you long to answer, so that's fine. <laughs> Those might take the longest to answer. Let's see how overly analytical I can get here. Well, this first question could. I suppose you could drag this one out for a while. But this question is uh, from Camilla. And Camilla asks, how is Sam really doing? Oh, God. Man, I don't know how to answer that. Like, how am I doing? Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, how am I doing in what By sense? what metric? Yeah, like, what you're metric doing good as far as survival. I mean, you haven't starved. No, I've got all my food. You haven't been killed by the state, as in the, <laughs> the actual, my cat's scratching at the door. He wants to be a guest on the podcast. Get in here, Thomas. <laughs> Speak to the people. Yeah, so in the, in the terms of survival, I'm doing quite well. Uh-huh. I have an excess of calories at my disposal. like. I have so many calories at my disposal that I can literally go and run for 90 minutes for no reason. For fun. Other, yeah, yeah, just for to, no reason. Yeah, just because I have too many calories. But I plug the tap, the water comes out. Like, Yeah. I can see. So all your basic needs are met, and yet, um, does that mean you're doing good? Well, let's go through, yeah, so all my basic, like the Maslow's higher pyramid, right? I'm pretty good on the bottom. Yeah. Pretty good in terms of physical needs. Yeah. I've got friends. I've got an amazing girlfriend. Yeah. Do you have enemies? I feel like you need at least one enemy to keep your life spicy. Yeah. One of them, there's this one roommate that we have that we all hate. This guy is such a, oh my God, it's, he's disgusting. Well, let it out. <laughs> oh, I, I swear, I've ta- I don't know if I've talked about him before, but like he'll, uh, like I've had to have discussions with him about like getting all of his pee into the bowl and not leaving large puddles of urine on the floor. Oh, is this the foreign exchange student? Yeah, he's still here. Ah, uh, he's graduated. Man, how awkward is that? You have to tell some guy to fucking how to aim. I've had to talk to him about a lot of things. Not not a lot of life skills. Not a lot of life skills. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. Yeah. So maybe not an enemy. Just like an annoying. Maybe that's why God put him in your life. He needs you to guide him, as in guide his dick and his urine into the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Well, so you'd say you're doing what? Seven out of ten? I mean, I, ca- I, I could go, yeah, like, I mean, I've got like... A strong seven. Faculty, yeah, like a strong, strong seven, maybe even an eight. Eight's pretty good. I'm not making any money, like money is, is not... is not. Yeah, being broke is not no big deal as long as you got <laughs> food coming. Yeah, I got food, I got food. Yeah, so I'm good. You got food, 
And entertainment and shelter being broke isn't even fucking a big deal. Yeah. It's not like a couple of years ago I was really broke and I was like, like, what do I eat? And so I found a YouTube channel called Great Depression Cooking. Ah, yeah. It's just this old lady like saying like, okay, so here's what we had. We couldn't afford socks, so I had to drop out of school. And uh, oh yeah, I've definitely <laughs> been that broke where like Monday you have to plan out to the dollar like what you're gonna be eating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, rice and hot dogs. <laughs> Ramen noodles are always a good one. Tomato soup you can buy like a flat for very cheap. So <laughs> if you can, I could survive off just tomato soup and saltine crackers. I've realized. Oh, good point. Yeah, good point. You get a lot. You get a lot. Bang, bang, bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Oh, that leads right into Camilla's second second question, actually. Oh. She asked, too. Oh, Camilla asks, uh, what is your favorite food? Oh, man. These are hard questions. Mm-hmm. Favorite food. I like so many different kinds of food. Um, I like Asian food, Italian food. I like American food, Mexican food, even some British food. But pick your favorite. Pick my favorite. Pick your favorite. You like that spice. We know that. I like spicy. To your own detriment. Yeah. Mm. Thai food is really good. Pad Thai, like spicy Pad Thai. That's really nice. Um, Ooh, I had some good Pad Thai the other day. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, pizza, like dumplings. Oh, my God. Like, Hey, you know, you remember you said you made homemade pizza? Well, I made homemade pizza since oh, then, shit. actually. Oh. I made it fucking... Razor thin crust. You could barely even <laughs> tell it was there. Pretty much nice. for just eating handfuls of sauce and cheese, but it was nice. so good. Nice. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, favorite food because there has to be variety. Mm-hmm. There has to be variety. And every new thing that you eat, the novelty of it is going to, for me, the novelty is important. Like, it's important to have some novelty. It's important to eat new things that you haven't eaten before. Yeah. It's like anything. If you, when you experience something new and you're like really fucking enjoying it, that's, that's, those are the, some of the best moments of life. The first time you hear a song that you know you're going to be listening to over and over again for like the next week. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, like a food that you think about for like years after you eat it. Oh, stinky tofu. Oh my God. Really? I had these um, shrimp tacos and, um, Mexico that I think about often. They were so good. We oh. went there for lunch and then we left and then we went back and I got them again for dinner. I was I was all about them. Something about the sauce they had there. Yeah, they, they know how to make tacos. Oh yeah, it's so good. Pico de gallo. The Mexican food is amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I, man, I don't know if... I mean, if you, like, you held a gun to my head and you're like, what's your favorite food? I'll probably say pizza. Like, I'll probably say pizza. I'm just like a, a basic person that way. Pizza, like you said, because pizza can in itself as a genre has so much variety and novelty built into it. Yeah. So there's an unlimited amount of types of pizzas you can try. So that's a good one. It's a good one. And it's like, it's like a universal food. Like literally every culture on earth has their own kind of pizza, I would say. Yeah, and no matter who you are, you'll be able. Someone will be able to make you a pizza you like, right? It's just <laughs> such a simple formula. You can't really. There's no way you can't modify the the ingredients to suit anyone. Anyone that likes pizza, you'll be able to make one that they or anyone that needs to eat food, you'll be able to make them a pizza they like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even lactose intolerant people, you can find some 
goat cheese or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's move on. Evan says, when did you two first fall in love with each other? Isn't that fucking cute? <laughs> well, Evan, I believe we started hanging out regularly uh, shortly after high school. Yeah, I would say shortly after high school. I introduced Sam to the devil's lettuce. Yeah, that was a big moment. Yeah, I remember that night. Popped, popped my weed cherry. Yeah, it was very, it was gentle, but it was firm. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. I can remember like almost, that's one of the few times that I've been stoned and I can like actually remember the entire night. Really? Like everything that happened. I can pretty much remember it in detail. Like uh-huh. I remember, I remember I got really paranoid because I could see police lights probably about like five kilometers away. Yeah. And I was like certain that they were waiting for us to drive down from this mountain. <laughs> like they're just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that night. Uh, we overlook, it was uh, overlooking the entire city. We had a bunch of people in cars, as you did back then. Lookouts and smoking weed and drinking at Lookout. That was pretty much uh, post-high school standard weekend. Yeah. Epic times. Very fun. And then after that, we would often go and partake at the bird sanctuary, uh-huh. which was terrifying because the homeless people would sleep in there. Remember that? How many times have we been stoned walking in the dark and we almost stepped on a homeless guy? I think it's been more than four times. Oh, yeah. And um, the cruisers were out in force. The cruisers. Cruisers, Jewel. Do you remember? Do you remember <laughs> when we were, we, were smoke, we, we were walking down the Greenway, which is like a, a wooded trail in our city that goes kind of through the middle of the city next to a river. And we were t- literally talking about how if we were homeless, we would probably sleep in there and as those words came out of our mouth we stepped over the legs of a homeless guy yeah <laughs> and then I, we didn't notice he was there until right then yeah yeah it's just so dark good time so i'd say shortly after high school we started hanging out very uh, very regularly and then the rest yeah. is history brother yeah all right next question uh this one is from valina taskoff um World-renowned vet technician. Ah, yes. If you consider Australia and Canada the world. Um, (laughs) She saved one of our cats from dying at 2 a.m. I believe we've talked about this. Emergency surgery on her cat at 2 a.m. on her dining room table was pretty dope. Um, She asked, tell us a blackout drunk story or what he thinks of cats shitting in his bed. This is directed at you, Sam. Um, Okay, well... I've got a couple. I don't have a ton of blackout drunk stories, but I've got um, I've got a I've got a good one. Uh, I, th- I think I've told the one from New Year's Eve um, on the podcast before. Yep, yep. Ambulance. Yeah. So I'll tell a different one. How many of your stories ends with you in an ambulance? That's what I want to know. A couple times at least. I'm pretty sure that's the only time. No, because on your birthday um, this year, this past summer, you had to call the ambulance. You know what the variable was? Was Tito's vodka? Yes, every time. Yeah. Okay, so this time, this was a different time. Uh, this was when I was in, uh, I was teaching English in Taiwan. And uh, we had every year, the company has this company banquet, like end of the year, huge company banquet, like every employee, pretty much of the whole company from all across the country, they meet in Taipei, in this huge convention center, and you sit in this enormous auditorium, and you like, watch all these acrobats and dancers and they like present awards to people really yeah it's really long it's like five hours long it fucking sucks sucks that sounds awesome well it's just like you just have to are they giving you booze well no not during the ceremony oh but uh 
I've found a way around that. Ah. You see, in Taiwan, 7-Eleven sells alcohol. So I stopped at the 7-Eleven before this convention and I bought myself a little Mickey of Johnny Walker Black. Ah. And so... <laughs> uh, you know what? These stories where you sneak alcohol into places where no one else is going to be drinking are always dangerous. These are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you can't hide being drunk very well, which I don't think you can, Sam. I hate to say it. I think I, I think I can. I don't think you can. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, so anyway, so I'm watching this thing, just like taking taking little sips, like discreetly taking discreet sips, yeah, out of this Johnny Walker, because you know it's a work function. Got to be careful. Yeah, alcohol very frowned upon generally. Really? Well, yeah, sort of. Just in general? Uh, it depends. Like. It depends. It's really, it's really weird. There, there's a weird relationship with alcohol there. Okay. But anyway, so I'm, I'm drinking this. Uh, so the, the thing wraps up. I'm getting a little tipsy. And then there's like the banquet after. And the banquet has booze. So I think like I probably drank a bottle of wine and a bunch of beers at this banquet. Yeah. Along with a lot of food. Right. So the alcohol is delayed by all this food. Yes. Yeah. But I've consumed a lot. I like where this is going. Yeah. You got a fucking long fuse on this stick of dynamite. Yeah. So we're talking hard liquor, wine, and beer. Yeah. All in large amounts, all at the same time with food. Which is always recommended to mix. <laughs> mix everything. And so then we meet up with, uh, with a friend of mine that I had gone to Vietnam with the year before. Not the war. Not the war. Just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Huge um, difference. Big difference. So we're, so we're like, I'm getting pretty drunk and we're walking, we're going to walk back. Our group of us are going to walk back to his hotel, play some cards and go to the club. On the way back, I run out of Johnny Walker Black. So good thing about Taiwan, there's a 7-Eleven pretty much every 100 yards. Yeah. So I went into the next 7-Eleven, bought another bottle of Johnny Walker Black. Oh God, this is not, I'm already <laughs> feeling like I'm going to throw up. Yeah, like we're talking, like I went into pee in an alley and there was like a, I think I jumped over a dog that was like lying in this alley. Oh man. When I was in Mexico, I thought I ran into a dog sleeping on the beach. Turned out to be a fucking huge sea turtle. Holy shit. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember you told me about that. I think I showed you a video of me and Chelsea finding it and we're fucking wasted and we are we are overjoyed that it's happening. Yeah. But yeah. That's like a major environmental infraction if you are on a beach where sea turtles are laying eggs. It wasn't laying eggs, as far as I could tell. It was one sea turtle chilling. Oh. We didn't touch it or anything, but it yeah. definitely got my flash of my camera in its face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are pretty majestic creatures. Yeah, it was fucking huge. Okay, so uh, yeah, so eventually we get back to uh, to this guy's apartment, and uh, me and him we decide we're gonna start gonna go we're gonna go shot for shot with Johnny Walker while we play some cards. So we're playing cards, and then this is when the blackout happens. Like basically one one second I'm playing cards. This is my, how my memory of the night goes. One second I'm playing cards. Yeah. The next second I am on a dance floor throwing up everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like blink of an eye. Yeah. Like, so and then what happened in between that? So apparently in between that uh, we finished playing cards, go to this club. As we're in line for the club, all the booze starts to hit me. Yeah. And I'm apparently so drunk that I can't take my ID out to like show the bouncer to get into the club. So my friends have to like take my ID out for me, show it to the bouncer, they let me in. I can't believe they let me in. And then my friends told me that we were in the club for maybe about 10 or 15 minutes before I just completely just lost it. Anyway, got kicked out of the club, 
immediately. And uh, so me and two of my friends, God bless their souls, got me a taxi. And uh, we went back to like our, our town. And I think the taxi driver went. They were like, he was going so fast because he didn't want me to throw up in his car. So he was going <laughs> like 180 or 180 kilometers or something. Just That's a bold strategy to try and get someone not to throw up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And then I woke up the next day with a really, really bad hangover. Yeah, as far as blacking out goes, that's not that bad. I mean, you could have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I once woke up in a closet, completely covered in blood, and my face looked like someone had taken a bat to it. And I had to walk oh, yeah. half an hour to get to class, or otherwise I was going to fail that class. <laughs> <laughs> you showed up in a class like that. That's nice. Yeah, they told me to get out and go clean up. <laughs> and I said okay. I was probably still hammered, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you only turned 19 once, right? Indeed. So I'm going to move on to some more, uh, maybe some more f- philosophy-related uh, questions. we got a lot of questions. I don't think we're going to get to all of them, unfortunately. But um, well, That's okay. We can save them for later episodes. Question bank. True that. True that. Here's one from David. Um, and this one is kind of interesting. How would the world change if people knew when they would die? Ooh, deep. I guess you got to ask them more questions. Would they know? They know exactly when they're going to die. So they'd probably end up going being a lot more reckless, right? Oh, that's a good point. That's interesting. It's like you're going to die on November 15th, 2040. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go jump off a skyscraper because apparently I'm not going to die if I do that. Yeah, we'd have to, yeah, yeah. Also, I was just thinking, like, I would stop taking care of my body. I would, like, fucking just have so much. I would become just a complete consumer of just good feelings. Oh, you would go full hedonism, gluttony? No, that's not true. That's not true because obviously that lifestyle can still lead to a lot of real life pain. You don't have to die. To experience hell. Mm. Good point, right? Like maybe if you go and jump off that skyscraper, you don't die, but you're like crippled in like a in and out of consciousness for forty years. for life, <laughs> and you're in a hospital bed. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not. Maybe not. I probably wouldn't do anything like too risky, but I might like. I might actually. When you start thinking of it that way, like when just because you know when you die doesn't mean you know how your quality of life will be up until that moment cuz if you really treat yourself like shit you could be bedridden for like 30 years right yeah before you actually die so i mean i think i think the the thrust of this question it reminds me of this jeep i saw one time and on the back of the jeep like on the spare tire was this decal and it said one life live it <laughs> so <laughs> And I was like, hey, that's like, it's like trite. And it's like, you know, it seems trivial, but it's like, yeah, what if, what if people were more uh, cognizant of their own mortality? Would they live life better? It's just a different way of saying YOLO, man. (laughs) No. (laughs) Fine. Hey. (laughs) Someone rearranged YOLO and it blew your mind. (laughs) YOLO, like people say it a lot, but that doesn't mean it's a meaningless concept. People say it too much, but it's overused. Uh, but there's still a real idea there, which is you only have one life. Yeah. So you should make the most of it. That's the idea. True. 
That's what YOLO is. But people that yeah. have that, they always have one thing in mind and they're, it's always nature. Like people that think you have to like climb a fucking cliff or something to be alive. <laughs> you have to, you have to like be hang gliding every other week or else you're wasting your life. That That's what I, just the fact that you said it was on the Jeep makes me feel like we were dealing with a guy that had like a homemade surfboard on the roof. He had three <laughs> dogs. You know what I'm saying? All this rock climbing equipment was in the back. Yeah. It's like, these are the type of people that would like, they, if you're in the city, you're fucking dying, man. You're not even alive. <laughs> if you're in the city, dude, you gotta be out in the mountains, dude. If you're not in nature, you're just dying. You're dying in the concrete jungle, man. Just a cog in the machine, man. Yeah. Maybe my idea of a good life is fucking, I don't know, getting blackout drunk at a work function and throwing up at a dance club. <laughs> yeah. And also it's like, if you sometimes if you have that attitude like you only have one life live it i feel like that could put a lot of stress on you a lot of pressure on you to always be wondering like it's like you have to you have to accept every opportunity that comes along or try and like force new opportunities uh to make it so you don't feel like you're wasting your life yeah exactly like you're always like whenever you have to do work or something yeah or anytime you're just like, I just want to have downtime today. Well, you're fucking not living it, dude. You're going to regret this day <laughs> on your deathbed, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the takeaway from this? You should be real about it. You should be real with yourself that like, this is your one life. You're not going to have another one. I think the best thing you can do to like, kind of avoid living with regret is to, if you have a, say, passion in life or a dream a goal that you wish you could be one day you should try and go for it even if it's unlikely that you'll succeed because you'll still end up finding like you'll still on the way you're gonna figure out more about yourself and what you really want in life mm. even if you don't end up being that thing or getting that job or that career you're gonna end up being in the ballpark closer to the ballpark of that anyways even if you don't make it yeah so I don't know. That's my two cents. Who gives a fuck what I think? <laughs> I think um, I think everyone. I, well, okay, maybe not everyone, but maybe there is a lesson that we could learn here from the Tao. Oh God! And <laughs> and that lesson is that uh, the universe is flowing in a certain direction, and you are in that flow, whether you like it or not. Uh huh. And so to avoid suffering in life rather than putting tons of pressure on yourself to carve out a certain path through the universe, which the universe might not appreciate. It might not want you carving a path around. Mm. You might not even be able to. Maybe what people should really try to be is to just go with the flow, like be one with the flow, be with the Tao, live a life of no resistance. Going with the flow. Say yes, man. Going with the flow, man. <laughs> Yeah, like just let, uh, find your rhythm. Yeah. What makes you like a nice coasting speed. Because life, I mean, hopefully life is going to be long. Maybe knowing when you die, like adjusts the pace that you live. Yeah. Or it gives you a more structured plan about what you want to accomplish. And these are like, your, this is your time frame. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it also depends on what the date comes up as, right? Because if you're like, oh, I'm going to die next week, you're probably going to behave a lot differently that week than you normally would. Yes. A lot of 
terrible tragedies could be avoided. Like, for example, if you knew you were going to die next week and you were thinking about like um, getting married or something, for example, you could be like, well, actually, hold on. I'm going to be dead next week. Yeah. Maybe let's not. Or if like you're thinking about having kids, like, well, hold on. I'm going to be dead next week. And then you're going to be stuck with these kids. So maybe you could avoid like certain terrible tragedies like that. Yeah. There would be no unexpected deaths. No. But knowing how much time you have left will definitely change the way that you act in your life. So as an answer to David's question, how would the world change? A lot of people would act a lot more decisively. There, would be, there wouldn't be as many, I don't know, a quote-unquote basement-dwelling lifestyles, in my opinion. Or would they? Or maybe people would just procrastinate just like they always do. I don't know, man. I, maybe. I, I, it depends on the person, I guess. I mean, Depends if we have free will or not. I don't know. I think yeah. that it would change drastically, but I don't know how. So that's my cop-out of an answer. I mean, there would have to be changes just like... To be able to know when you're going to die would imply either that we have like magical foresight or like some incredible predictive technology or something. So the world would already be a very different place. Yeah. Unless it's already been that way. It's always been that way. Maybe when you're born, you get the fucking expiration date, right? Burnt right into your thigh. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what... Uh, I don't know if you've seen this show, Loki. Um, but the premise is, is that there's this organization called the Time Variance Authority. Mm-hmm. And they are like a, they are like keeping the universe on one timeline where they know everything that's going to happen from now until the end of time. I guess is this Loki like the Marvel character Loki? The yeah, the Marvel TV yeah Marvel TV show called Loki. Oh, there's a TV show called Loki. Yeah, is it with the guy from fucking the main series? Yeah, Tom Hiddleston. Oh, shit. And uh, yeah, so the premise is, is that this force, this like time force, is. Whenever there's a, and then the, the premise is that Loki is like a variant. Uh, and he has acted against, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing according to their perfect chain of cause and effect that goes until the end of time. Uh, and so they're trying to like cor- correct him to get him, get the timeline back. That doesn't sound like it could get convoluted really fast any, at all. <laughs> Anytime there's like timeline shit, it's just things get crazy. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, normally I hate it, but it's I like this. Anyway, yeah, move on. Well, I like that character, so I'll probably watch it. What's it on? Disney Plus. Oh, I got it. I got the big three, baby. <laughs> okay, here's one. This one is from Maxwell. It says, As a stand-up comedian in Canada, do you find it is more difficult to gain a following and become successful compared to the States because we don't have the First Amendment and bits have to be altered to be more socially appropriate or acceptable? Huh. Well, um, okay, so I have to say I haven't done stand-up in the States. But I would say that the first... Um, so the, the First Amendment thing is... Uh, the First Amendment protects you from the government. Mm-hmm. It does not protect you from other people. Right. So the First Amendment only applies... The government can't censor you. The government can't arrest you for speech. Right. But other people can definitely sue you for what you say. Right. That's why people can be canceled but not thrown in jail, essentially. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Um, so even in the States, right, you look at like, who are all these huge comics, right? Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. But then again, he wasn't canceled because of anything he said. Dude. Yeah. Well, maybe the Parkland thing. Um, maybe that joke got him canceled. I don't know. 
I think it was more of his his jerk his jerkiness that got him canceled. <laughs> his jerky jerk, jerky jerking. But again, I don't think he did anything illegal. But he did do something no, no, really no. creepy. Well, and gross. Calling people and, and jacking off while you talk to them is illegal. I think. Yeah, it's creepy and gross. That's a. I don't think that's illegal though. I think it's like sex. Some. I think it's a sex sex crime technically. To jack off while you're talking to someone on the phone and they don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it might be. I don't know. Um, but anyway. Uh, hardened criminal, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Hardened criminal. Yeah. Slippery Louie. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. That's that's a really good question. I don't think... Uh, I would probably say no, it's not not harder. Because you can always... No matter... like You can always find a crowd that is going to like what you say. Yeah, there's always going to be enough people out there that want that... Um, Kind of, yeah. On the fringe comedy, yeah. Like there's there's popular comedians on all ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Some of them just can't work for like NBC, yeah, or like Comedy Central because of what they say. But they still have an audience. I will say that it, it's it is more difficult to be successful as a comedian in Canada in general, despite any sort of kind of woke culture going on just because of the lack of comedy clubs, the lack of opportunity. Yeah. Um, even the big festivals will, instead of promoting Canadian names, they'll just bring up famous Americans. And it's just like, that's the bigger problem. Yeah. The, the machine in place that's in place in the States to become a professional, like a famous comedian or a professional one is much more uh, well oiled, I guess. Yeah. It's is, I think it's getting better a little bit. Um, but it's still like if you want to really make it big in in comedy and yeah. like acting, like you got you got to move to the states. Like you can't do that in Canada. You can also ask. I I thought of this the other day. And I was like, is the goal to be a famous comedian or to be a professional comedian? Because often those aren't these don't go hand in hand, right? I think you can become a professional comedian in Canada. Um, not easily. It's I think it's still harder. Yeah, it's still more difficult. I think. It's still harder for sure, but becoming a famous comedian in Canada is way harder than being uh, than <laughs> the, in the states. Way harder. Yeah. Well, to the point of uh, to the First Amendment point, there was recently a ruling in Quebec, the Quebec, uh, the Quebec Human Rights Tribunal or whatever. Yeah. So this, you you know the story, right? This guy, um, this I think he was like a disabled kid at high school, filed a complaint against this comedian who like made fun of him at a show. Right. And then maybe there was some more stuff. Maybe there was like more social media taunting or something. I don't know. But they, uh, they, they said, you've got to pay this, pay this kids, get a lot of money. I forget what the award was, but maybe I can look it up. Interesting. But that's pretty rare. Yeah. I think Canada has, has a better chance of the law getting involved over shit like this than they do, we do in the States. But I will say in my five years of doing hundreds of shows a year, it's very rare that I get any sort of... I've never had to, like he says, I've never had to rewrite or or do anything with my bits, right? Mm. More socially appropriate, acceptable. You got to read the crowd, right? Obviously, you're going to come across crowds that want it dirty and dark, and you can always have that material ready. And if you have a crowd that seems to be more on the conservative side, it's good to have some shit in the bag for them, but I've never been told to like, 
unless you agree beforehand, this is a clean comedy show, then you have to do what is agreed beforehand if you want to get paid, right? You're still under the employment of whoever is paying you. Yeah. So, but I've not had a whole lot of, um, I guess, conflict with audience members or anyone over my material. Now, that being said, I'm not exactly a dirty, dark comedian. Neither are you. <laughs> I have a couple couple jokes in there I can throw in if the crowd wants it. But in general, I would be considered pretty, um, not family friendly, but pretty not like, I wouldn't be considered dirty by any standard by other comedians. Put it that way. Yeah. So, so, but I do know I have, you know, there's comedians in the scene that go that route and I have seen them essentially bomb because the crowd is offended. Mm -hmm. But that is what it is, right? Yeah, that's a, a, an important thing, reading the room. And it's not like the crowd all got together beforehand and decided what, where the line is for them. It's just, there's a general, I guess, social climate that you have to accept no matter what, at what point it is in the pendulum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, if you really want to be dirty and say some offensive shit, then just go do a show up north or in the middle of the country. It's a lot easier to get away with. <laughs> Yeah, so this uh, this Quebec thing, uh, what was it? He has to pay $42,000 or $35,000, but I, I highly doubt that's going to ever happen. It's probably what he makes. If he's a professional comedian in Canada, that's probably his yearly wage. Yeah, he's, he's, never, he's not going to pay that. Like That's going to get no. appealed. He's not going to pay that. Yeah. Okay. Trying to get as many of these like decent questions out as I can. There's a lot of bullshit that came in. Um, this one's from Josh, and it says, "What did you think of Bo Burnham's new special? Also, what's your best piece of advice that you think applies to basically anyone?" <laughs> so, have you watched Bo Burnham's new special, Sam? I've watched the f- first thirty minutes. Right, and then you got you didn't like it. Well, yeah, I think I, we talked about this last week. Right. No, I liked it a lot. It was just it, uh I had to take a break because it was I was getting contact depression and anxiety. <laughs> okay, so that's essentially what I my experience. I mean, it didn't help that it's been the soundtrack of my last week of fucking insanity when I'm trying to sleep. Um but I will say the first when I first watched it, I thought it was like pretty entertaining, uh pretty depressing at times, but I wasn't that, like, it didn't impact me that hard until I actually was listening to just the album that goes with it. So, like, just the songs mm. when I was at work. And I really, like, I listened to it, I think, twice in a day at work. And when you don't have all the visuals kind of distract, like, kind of partially distracting you from the content of the lyrics, the lyrics get very dark and very depressing in some parts, um, especially certain songs. There's a song called A Funny Feeling. He plays near the end. He plays it on guitar. Mm. And if you just listen to the melody, you would think it was like kind of a happy song, but it is one of the most depressing songs I've heard in a while. And uh, it de- Bo Burnham specials never leave me feeling particularly joyful, but this one ha- it's, it's, it's had a larger effect on my psyche than any sort of anything I've watched in a while. Uh, which is what I've been hearing from other people too. It's a very, very, very well done special, but it is not exactly like something I'd want to watch over and over again. <laughs> Put it that way. No, no, it's uh, it's a lot more like 
you watch it once, maybe twice. I think I know someone who's watched it a lot, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny, but it's also like it kind of cuts you, and it really like gives you a window into this guy's psyche. Like you said, like he's almost like he's opening a window into his brain. Like it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, and it gets worse. Like he gets it gets a lot more heavy near the end of the special. Like a lot more heavy, and uh, the one of the things about it is the songs are are written so well and they're so catchy that they just they just drilled themselves into my head. Like I can't stop <laughs> the shit from playing in my head. It's one, uh, like every moment during the day, I have one of those fucking songs going through my head. Brutal. Damn your your synapses are just like firing with no external stimulation. I know. I think you need to. I think you need more external stimulation. I think I need to. Not listen to that album ever again. Yeah, don't listen to music while you're trying to fall asleep. That's a bad idea. I don't listen to music while I'm trying to fall asleep. I listen to it during the day at work, and it stayed in my head for a fucking week since then. Uh, and then sometimes I try and re-listen to the songs to try and like, because that does help me get songs out of my head, but it just makes it worse. And the fact that it's so depressing and fills me with existential dread makes it even worse. So... I will say it's an amazing piece of art, and I also hate it for it putting me, helping me, it the, being the soundtrack of my week of hell so far. So, seven out of ten. Does it offer any hope? Is there any hope at the end? Um, no, not not particular that I can remember. Mm. But I I I'd have to watch it again to see because there's a lot more going on than just the songs in between songs. There's stuff going on that's not like on the Spotify album. Um, moving on to his uh, question here. What's the best piece of advice you think applies to basically anyone? Jesus. Best piece of advice you could give that could apply to anyone? Hmm. I would say think about I know it sounds corny. It sounds silly. <laughs> but it is nice to stop and think about like we were talking about kind of at the beginning. Um, like, how are you doing? Yeah. Think about what you have that you're grateful for. That's true. Don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you have that you're grateful for. And when you start thinking about that, you realize you have a, a lot of things to be grateful for. Yeah. But sometimes that backfires and it makes me feel guiltier for feeling like shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why am I unhappy if I have all this shit going for me? That's that. So I, 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 it is very hard for me to pick out a piece of my life that I don't like. So when I am having my like periods of depression, I I don't feel justified at all for feeling that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can understand that. That's sort of like the uh the Bo Burnham effect, I feel like just like being overly analytical but not being able to like stop it from happening like a reflex. Yeah, I mean, he's got something that needs to be diagnosed, I think. Yeah. He's got some serious problems in his faculties as far as like maintaining his <laughs> happiness. Yeah. Well, okay, aside from depression, because depression is a real problem with your brain that you can't just think it away. You can't just like think away your depression. Yeah. You can't cheer yourself up, really. Yeah, and I, I'm not like clinically depressed. I just I just get depressed after I don't know, not fucking sleeping for a week straight. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to give. It's hard for advice to apply to everyone if some of those people are going to feel guilty because of the advice, no matter what it is. Like that's yeah, that's that's a hard one to solve. 
But I think it is good advice to take inventory once in a while so you don't you don't take what your life is for granted, what good is happening in your life for granted, right? Because that can turn you into a bit of a, you know, someone no one wants to be around, essentially, if they're always bitching. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, saying, and again, saying like, saying like, oh, like, what do you have to be grateful for? Like, there's a lot of people who have very, who from my perspective, I would probably say like, oh shit, they have very little to be grateful for. They're living on the street in a tent or something like that. Like, yeah. Like, how does my, how does that advice help them like do better with their life? You know, if they're living on the street in a tent. So I think I would probably have a pretty, I would probably be a, uh, I would probably be wrong and egotistical if I thought I knew good advice for everybody on the planet. I'll have to say that. Yeah. For something that like, I mean, you could get real basic with it. Like a good piece of advice for everyone, I think, would be to like take care of your teeth or some shit, right? (laughs) Something (laughs) practical. (laughs) Hey, if you have your teeth, at least that's something you can be grateful for. Uh You still have your teeth. I would think my advice would be if there's something you want to do in life, you should at least attempt it. That's good advice. If you can. I mean, like you said, there's always going to be circumstances where you're not going to be able to to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be realistic. There's always the classic, like, I'm never going to be in the NFL, no matter how bad I want to do it, right? Yeah. So, you know, be realistic, but... Here's one. You can be... Uh, this one has always helped me, actually. And again, it's going to sound... It's going to sound bad because there are people who have nothing. But I've always found it good if I'm feeling shitty about myself, like feeling down about myself, just feeling shitty, to do something for somebody else, like help somebody else. And that always makes me feel better. It's weird, but it makes you feel better. If you do something to somebody else, no matter how shitty you're feeling, you help them out with something in some way. Yeah. That makes you feel better because you you just increased happiness in the world you made the world a little bit of a better place even in just a small way you made someone else's day a little better yeah i will say i mean this is this is pretty common now for like people that if you have any sort of feelings of worthlessness even just doing a chore Mm. will make you feel better doing anything that can be considered productive will make you feel better a certain degree right Mm-hmm. If you're in, I know people, you can get into a major depressive mode or something where you're literally just barely sustaining your body with whatever is the easiest thing to make for a meal and then like mindlessly consuming YouTube videos for days at a time. <laughs> you're going to end up feeling like shit at the end of a couple of days. But if you even just like, you know, even it doesn't even have to be cleaning, but like write down a page of anything. Just do, even if it's garbage you're writing, you can do anything that be considered productive, you're going to feel your mood enhance a tiny bit. And then chase that dragon, baby. Yeah. And no matter how bad things are, everything is relative to your experience. Yeah. Even when you feel like you have nothing, there's always going to be things that you're grateful for, even when you have nothing. Like, you're going to be grateful that it's not raining on you right now. Yeah. Or that uh, your leg didn't get chewed off by a rat or something. Like... You can, you can always find little rays of sunshine. <laughs> and no matter how bad your situation is, the chances of your situation getting worse and worse and worse and worse and never improving is very low. Just to, you know, even if you're in like fucking Guantanamo Bay, it's going to suck the most when you first get there. Even in Guantanamo Bay, you can find things to be grateful for. 
You can be like, well, today they didn't waterboard me. Well, I'm just saying you can get, and humans are very <laughs> adaptable, right? So you can, you're going to end up being comfortable in Guantanamo Bay. Indeed. I, be, I believe Dostoevsky said that uh, a human being is like so adaptable, they can adapt to any circumstances. And if someone was standing on like a pillar in the middle of the ocean, they would adapt to that and they wouldn't jump off. Jump off? That's adapting. No, they wouldn't jump off. They'd stay on the pillar. Oh. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a limit to this, right? You don't want to be in a coffin uh, buried alive. You're not going to adapt to that. <laughs> no. I mean, you, you'll be grateful. You could even be grateful there that, like, like at least I'm just going to slowly suffocate to death. Like, I know my fate. I know what's going to happen to me. I know I only have a certain amount of time. I'm going to slowly suffocate to death. At least I'm not, like, burning to death. Yeah. And then they stop burning me at the last minute. Let me heal and burn me again. And, like, mm-hmm. Just keep repeating that process. And if I was in that coffin, I would just replay that whole Bo, Bo Burnham album in my head. At least I got that. <laughs> Inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You thought it was hard being in that room for that long? Try being in this fucking coffin buried alive. Yeah, fuck you both. Write a song about what you're grateful for, you overanalytic. <laughs> <laughs> he really does have a problem with overanalyzing every little thought he has. Yeah, I don't think he would be able to write down what he's grateful for. Because he would, yeah, he would like spiral out about everything. Well, he does say in the special that he got better. Like he took five years off of performing to get better through therapy mm. and stuff. And he did. And then COVID happened and then it was all collapsed, I guess. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd be, I'm interested to see what he does next, um, honestly, because I think, I don't know, maybe was it the audience being in front of the audience that really caused him to be that anxious because if he could just do if he I mean he could just do this again like uh some sort of special where he's not there is no audience because obviously he did a great job with this one yeah I don't know so I am interested to see where he goes next but at the same time fuck you Bo Burnham (laughs) making my life suck for a week (laughs) yeah is there is there another quick question we can do we have a ton of questions, um, but let's see. Okay, here's one. <laughs> this is probably not a quick one, but Dave says, <laughs> why is there something instead of nothing? Uh, oh, I was actually, um, I think I was just listening to someone talking about this a guy named Sean Carroll. He's a theoretical physicist. Mm-hmm. He has a, I know. He has a, yeah, he has a podcast. And he had a Q&A episode. And I think he was talking about this question, like, why is there something rather than nothing? Or like, why, is, why are we in this universe rather than another universe? Yeah. And his, and his position was is that uh, the burden of proof is actually on the person asking that question to establish... Fuck, now I'm forgetting it. Um, because he was saying this, like, well, like, why, why is that a... Why is that a question? Why should there be something rather than nothing? The concept of nothing only exists. The concept of nothing only exists because there is something, right? That's what I would think. Interesting. Like the idea of nothing would not, it's just the opposite. Like it, it seems like a mute question, a moot, moot. What was the question question again? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something instead of nothing? Yeah, so maybe, yeah, so that's one, one, that was Sean Carroll's answer was, is that uh, there is no answer, or I think it was like, there's no answer to that question. 
I think that was his, his point, basically. I remember watching something with uh, Stephen Hawking, and he it was the question isn't why is there something instead of nothing. He kind of explained how you don't need because people always say this in relation to a god, right? To prove or to like make a point that there has to be a god, but. Stephen Hawking's had some explanation where you don't need a, a prime mover for existence to happen. And I'm way, obviously way too dumb to understand what he meant, but he explained it in a way that everyone else seemed to be satisfied in the room. So it's, so it's like, why is there, why do things exist instead of a void? Well, how can, how can something come from nothing was the question that he was answering. And he kind of explained how. Oh, yeah how the concept of nothing doesn't exist in reality. Uh, like, it's just an opposite to something, right? So, or, but it actually, in reality, nothing is not a thing. <laughs> right. Uh, I really hope I can sleep tonight. Words. Words. Words are fun. That's what philosophy is all about, is figuring, figuring out what these words of ours actually mean. Why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Does there have to be an answer? That's that's another question. Is there an answer? Does there have to be an answer? Does the question actually make sense? I'm saying that there there is the only reason we have the word nothing is because there is something. Have we ever encountered nothing? No. Yeah, you've never encountered nothing with your senses. There's always even where they thought there was nothing. Even where they thought there was nothing, there's like black, dark matter, black matter, whatever you want to call it, black lives matter out there. Well, I guess like you could say like, okay, I have this vacuum chamber and I've created a vacuum in this vacuum chamber and there are no particles in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know if that's actually possible to have totally like really empty space, like not even subatomic particles. No, that's what they're discovering is that even in a vacuum, there's something. So I don't think that, yeah, this is more of a physics question than a uh, philosopher. Uh, a uh, question for a stone philosopher, but that's what I think. I'd say it's like I'd say it's both. It's both physics and philosophy. I mean, it's 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 physics if you're asking why is there a universe. Yeah, it's philosophy if you're saying why is there something rather than nothing. That's where physics and philosophy converge. <laughs> yeah, we should do a episode about paradoxes. Do it up. Well, we're at we're we're at a good time here, Sam. We uh, that was a, that was fun. Probably do one of those every once in a while. Well, we can keep doing these questions every episode because I think you have more, right? So we could like I do, but some of them are garbage. Oh, we don't have to do those then. And they all know who they are. Um, <laughs> but we did get some good questions there. It's nice to have some engagement. I don't even know how many of those people actually listen to the podcast, but maybe in their vanity to have their question answered, they might start listening. Um, but you can write in to our podcast email with any question, and we, we, we will read it for sure at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. So tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. Any last remarks, Sam, before we say goodbye? Um, nothing. I have nothing to say. He has nothing instead of something to say. Okay. Y'all have a good night. Wish me luck on the sleep. Bonne nuit.